I want you to go ahead and turn to Exodus chapter 19. Exodus chapter 19. So what we're going to do today uh, is we're going to begin a two-part series leading up to Easter, uh, in which we are looking at the Last Supper of Jesus' life, and the next week we're going to learn about it and then actually take it together uh, on Palm Sunday. And so, uh, but what we're going to do is we're going to look at, it's called Backdrop, we're going to look at a couple things that Jesus says at the Lord's Supper that we overlook sometimes that actually have a huge significance for what he's doing at the Last Supper and in his death. And so that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at one of the one of the things that he says at the Last Supper that I think is really important and really cool to know. And uh, full credit uh, goes, uh, this is not my idea. This is a guy named Paul Hoskins. Dr. Hoskins is a professor at Southwestern Seminary. Uh, these ideas are from this book called That Scripture Might Be Fulfilled. And I actually went over there uh, on Thursday morning, and I, I was sat in his office, and I said, okay, explain this to me. It's not making sense. And, uh, and so he explained it to me, and, uh, and so it's, I think it's brilliant. And uh, so I just wanted to give credit where credit was due uh, in kind of doing the research uh, on, this, on this topic or on this stuff. And so while we're in Exodus chapter 19, uh, I want to I tell you about this. So all of us have a most prized possession, okay? So for some of us, it might be your wedding ring, or it might be your truck, or it might be your child. could be something like that. For my daughter, it's her blanket. She has this, she has this pink blanket that she sleeps with every night, and, uh, and she takes it everywhere. And so if we don't go, if we don't have it when we go somewhere, it's not good. So the other, last week, we tried to go to Chick-fil-A, and uh, we didn't have her blanket with us. And it was a fiasco. She bawled the entire way there. Uh, but then Casey Culver was there, the daughter, and, uh, and she like, lightened up when she got there and saw her. But, uh, but on the way there, it was not a fun car ride. And so, and so did you know, actually, that God has a most prized possession? It's a group of priests. And so let's pray, and we'll learn about them. And so, Father, uh, we, we love you, and we thank you for your word. And so we pray that you would speak to us today through your word that would enable us uh, or empower us uh, to live uh, for you, to understand who we are and who you are and, uh, and how we should live in light of that. And so I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to hear uh, what you have to say to us this morning and prepare our hearts as we begin to look ahead uh, to Easter that's coming up to where we can celebrate Jesus and what he's done uh, with a greater understanding. And, uh, and so it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so what we're going to learn, so the gospel, or Jesus' death, is kind of like a diamond, okay? And so if you've got a diamond, not one that big, but if you've got one, you know, on your wedding ring or something like that, what happens if you spin it? Light begins to reflect out of it in a different, in a different way uh, than it had prior. And so as you spin it, you'll see the diamond from a different perspective, and you'll see light in a different way. The gospel, or Jesus' death, is the, is the exact same way. And so as you hold up Jesus' death, and you begin to spin it around and see it from different angles or different contexts, all of a sudden, you gain a fresh understanding or a new understanding of exactly what he was here to do. And, uh, and so one of these ways, we're going to spin the diamond this morning, and we're going to look at how Jesus brings a new covenant for us, a new covenant. And so to understand that, we have to see the old covenant. So in Exodus chapter 19, that's where we're going to start. And so if you're new to the Bible, Exodus is one of the first books of the Bible. And if we say chapter 19, that's the big number. And when you say verse, that's the small number. And uh, so Exodus chapter 19, 
starting in, I said, I said verse 1, we're going to go to verse 3. Now, context of what's happening here. The Israelites were slaves in Egypt. Wasn't good. They didn't like it. So they cried out, God, please save us. So God did that. He raised up a guy named Moses to lead them out of slavery in Egypt. And now they're wandering in the desert, and God comes to them and brings them a covenant. And it's, it's really significant for them for all of their history. And so we're going to read about it here. Chapter, or verse 3. Moses, he went up the mountain to God. This is where they're at a mountain. God's going to come down on the mountain and physically talk with him. And uh, so Moses went up the mountain to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain. This is what you must say to the house of Jacob and explain to the Israelites. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you will carefully listen to me and keep my covenant, you will be my own possession out of all the peoples. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be my kingdom of priests and my holy nation. These are the words you are to say to the Israelites. And after Moses came back, he summoned the elders of the people and, to set, and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. Then all the people responded together, we will do all that the Lord has spoken. So Moses brought the people's words back to the Lord. So what God did is he went in to Egypt and he rescued the Israelites from slavery and brought them out here and he's going to give them a covenant. Now I want you to pay attention to what this covenant entails for them. What does God say about these people? You're going to be what? My most treasured possession. Of all the people in the world, he says, you guys who were slaves, you had this past. What I'm going to do is I'm going to bring you to me. I'm going to rest, set you free from that. And you're going to be the thing in the world that I value above everything else. First off, it's crazy. There's a God out there who could think that way about people, right? Who created people, who people who are like, who are sinful and messed up and like are hurtful to each other. And he came to this people and he said, listen, you guys are going to be special to me. You are going to be my most prized possession in the world, and I'm going to do something significant among you. First off, that tells us we have a loving God. There is a God out there who loves, and I want you to hear that. There's a God out there who loves. But here's what he brings them to do. So he says, you are going to be my most prized possession, and look what that means for them. Look what that means. You are going to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So in other words, what he says is this, you're going to be my most prized possession, and what that looks like is you are going to be my priests. You are going to be my servants, my special servants. And so catch this, God set them free from slavery to Pharaoh in order to make them his servants. Doesn't that, for some of us, that can seem odd, right? You're like, you're set free to work for me, okay? That seems odd. Because we're Americans, a lot, well, a lot of us are Americans, not all of us, some of us are Americans, and as Americans, we value or sing the praises of freedom, right? So the American Revolution, we like, are like, yeah, American Revolution, we rub it in Jared's face, and, and we're like, yes, Americans, okay? And so we're like, we're awesome, and so why did we do the American Revolution thing? Well, like, third grade answer is like the, uh, we, like, we had taxation without representation in, in England, okay? And the, the king wanted to tax us just like 
the government now wants to tax us. And, uh, and we said, we don't like that because you don't let us go to Congress, okay? And so, and so they said, hey, you're not our boss anymore. And so we like kind of got guns and went, went after them, okay? That's the American Revolution. And so we said, we want freedom. We want freedom from the oppression of the King of England. And so as a result, that line of thinking of freedom like kind of invades us to where now what we think of when we say the word freedom, we think of autonomy. We think when I say you are set free, you have freedom, that means that you can do whatever you want, whenever you want to do it. But that is not biblical freedom. That's Americanized freedom. Biblical freedom is this, being able to walk in obedience to God. And that's something difficult, that's difficult for us to understand. But catch this, catch this. If there are, no, not if, since, since there is a God out there who created this world and knows exactly how it works, and he created ideals such as love, or concepts such as love, or friendship, or kindness, or goodness. Like God created those things. Since he created the world, then walking in obedience to what he commands us to do will be the best thing for us, and in walking in those things, that will actually be freedom for us. Everyone works better when you, when you have a, like guidelines. So if you're, if you're in a classroom, and uh, it's your second period, and uh, you have a sub for the day. Does anything ever get done in that sub's class? No. Why? Because the sub's not going to be there the next day. It doesn't matter. Okay, side note, if, you're a, if you are a student in here, be nice to your subs, because it's a hard dang job. I used to be a sub. I was a long-term sub for a while. It was really difficult, and the kids all hated me, and I just wanted to help, okay? And just didn't, it just, just be kind to your subs. It's hard, okay? But anyways, but then, like, nothing gets done. Why? Because you lose your rigid, like you lose your guidelines in the class. But what happens is when you, when you go into a class, and you have a teacher that is strict, and everyone knows you follow the rules, and, like, and, you, like, and you, if you don't follow the rules, there's going to be consequences. Imagine you're in Janet Wynn's class okay? And like, if you're in Janet Wynn's class, you can bet you're going to follow the rules, okay? There's going to be guidelines for that. What happens for the students in that classroom? They flourish because they know where the boundaries are, and they can actually get work done, and they can learn and do well. Same thing for us. That is biblical freedom. That is biblical freedom. That is what God set the Israelites free from slavery to Pharaoh in order to do, to be obedient slaves for God. Did you catch that? It's crazy. So what does it mean to be a priest? Look at verse 5. What does the, what's the basis, like what is the, like the, the side of the people of, Egypt, of people of Israel? Like what's their contribution to this, to this covenant? Look at verse 5. Now, if you will carefully listen to me and keep my covenant, you will be my own possession out of all the peoples. Side note, peoples is kind of a weird line. Instead of people, people, plural, doesn't matter. Anyway, so uh, if you'll carefully listen to me, what's their basis? Obedience. What do they bring to the table? Their obedience. And so if you are a servant of God, if you are a slave of God or a priest for God, 
then what do you bring to the table? Obedience. That is the first, the foremost characteristic of being a priest for God. You're obedient to him. You're obedient to him. The second thing is this. Priesthood had another aspect. Because in Israel, not everyone were like had the function of priest or the role of priest within the nation. What they did is they went to God on behalf of the rest of the people who were not priests. And so they went and sacrificed to God on behalf of the other people. They went and talked to God on behalf of the other people. And then they came back and they told them what God said. That's what a priest functioned at. And what God was saying is you are going to be set free from slavery in order to serve me, be obedient to me. And through that, flourish as a group, flourish as a community or as a nation. And then all of you are going to have a special relationship with me. And I'm not going to reserve it for just a few people. That is the covenant that God is going to bring to these people that he chose to be his most prized possession. And so what do we learn about God in this? We learn that he so desperately loves his people, that he's going to come and lead them to the way of life. He's going to lead them to where everyone has a significant or special relationship with him and not leave it up to others to guide them there. That's what he's doing for them. So, again, what is forefront in this ceremony for them? Their obedience. Look at, let's turn to Exodus chapter 24. Exodus chapter 24. This is a unit. 19 to 24 is a unit where it talks about the beginning, like the intro of the, of the covenant. Chapter 24 is the handshake or the signature portion of the covenant. And so let's look at this. They kill some things. It's awesome. Okay? So verse 3. Verse 3 of chapter 24. Moses came and told the people all the commands of the Lord and all the ordinances. Then all the people responded with a single voice, we will do everything the Lord has commanded, i.e., we will be obedient to God. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early the next morning, set up an altar and 12 pillars for the 12 tribes of Israel at the base of the mountain. Then he sent out young Israelite men, and they burned burnt offerings and sacrificed bulls as the fellowship offerings to the Lord. Moses took half the blood and set it in basins, and the other half of the blood he splattered on the altar. He then took the covenant scroll and read it aloud to the people, and they responded, We will do and obey all that the Lord has commanded. And Moses took the blood, splattered it on the people, and said, This is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you concerning these words. So I just bought a house, uh, and I went to the D.R. Horton Title Company, and I brought my dog with me, and uh, we actually killed it and splattered the blood on everyone in order to ratify uh, our, our mortgage. It was kind of crazy, kind of cool to watch. Okay, but... You, that sounds stupid for us. That's how they did things back then, okay? So when you, uh, when you made a covenant with someone or made a, made a deal with someone, you either killed an animal or you traded shoes. <laughs> it's kind of weird, okay? And so uh, but what they're doing here is they're making this covenant with God. And, and so God comes and he says, okay, we're going to make this covenant. What are you going to do? We're going to obey you. And he's like, okay, let's do it. Bring the animals out, okay? Brought the animal out, killed it. Then he took the blood from a bowl 
and went to all the people and starts flinging it on them, okay? That, that was the handshake portion of the covenant. That also had a secondary effect because sacrifice of the animal and the sprinkling of the blood sanctified the people or made them holy to where they could be in this special relationship with God as his priest. We'll learn more about that next week. And we talked about it in Leviticus a couple weeks ago. No, so that's what that that's what's going on there. That was the handshake portion of this covenant. So now it's the deal. They signed it. Let's go live it out. The problem is that they can't always do everything that they think that they can do. So when I uh, was about two or three weeks into being a student pastor or a youth pastor down in Angleton back in 2016, I thought I was like Don Wester, okay? I thought I could MacGyver any situation and fix it, okay? So one day, if, if you're not familiar with the men's restrooms, there are special fountains on the wall, okay? And in this restroom, like, so we, I walked into the main restroom outside of the sanctuary, and the, one of those toilets was overflowing everywhere, okay? It was like flooding bad. And, uh, and so we're like, okay, we got to fix this. We got to turn this off. And so Aaron turns to me, he's like, what do we do? And I'm like, I'm going to fix this. Okay, I can do this. And I quickly Google, how do I fix this? And so I went and got my screwdriver. And so if you, on the top of, of the, uh, the toilet, there is a little screw to where you can close, you can close the valve and turn the water off to it. I was like, great, I'll do that. I Google how to do it. And I, and I didn't read very long. I was just like, it's flooding. Oh, unscrew it. Okay, done. <laughs> so I went to my truck and got my tools. And instead of getting a screwdriver to just undo like, do the, the valve, I got a whole wrench. And I take off the entire plug, okay? <laughs> I thought I was fixing it, okay? I thought I was fixing this. You want to know what happens when you take one of those things off of a urinal? It's a fire hydrant. And I'm not kidding. I'm not exaggerating. This is a Wednesday night as well. And so, like, we're in there. This, this plug comes off of the toilet. And then water starts shooting out. It's like nailing the wall behind me. And so I run to the fellowship hall and go grab a table to block the wall so I don't have to repair the sheetrock. And, uh, and so then we're scrambling. And so I'm in there. I'm not kidding. It's literally like a fire hydrant, okay? And so, like, I get in there, and I'm, like, I don't know what to do. I can't fix this thing, and the entire plug's out of it. And so, like, there's so much water pressure, and I'm, like, try, like it's futile. It's, it was not going to happen. I'm trying to, like, screw the plug back into it with all this pressure pushing out to me. And so Aaron runs outside the pasture, and he finds the main emergency water shutoff. And thankfully, that turned the water off. I had to go change. I was, like, I was literally like I just jumped in a swimming pool. It was amazing. The worship pastor didn't help. He just stood in the door and filmed the whole thing. And uh, it's, I, don't have, I, sh- I was going to text him this morning and get the video, but I forgot. So. Good times, though. It was good times. All that to say is that at that moment, I thought I had the capability of fulfilling being Don Wester, and I did not have that ability, okay? 
In the same way, the Israelites had a problem with this covenant. They thought that they could live this out by their own ability. They thought that they could like walk in obedience to God, but what happened is their lives proved that that was not the case at all. And so if you turn like several several chapters later, after they get out of the, uh, the book of Exodus, you go to go to the book of Numbers, go to the book of Deuteronomy. What we sh- what we learn about the Israelites is that they could not be obedient to God for anything. And so we go to the book of Judges, where they get into the after they get into the Promised Land. What do we see in the book of Judges? There is a constant refrain throughout the book that there is no king in the land. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And you see this tumbling down of the judges to where we end with Samson, who was the, like, and so like, it's just like the judges get worse and worse and worse to where there's, there's judgment brought upon the people of Israel. And they, go, they cry out to God and he says, listen, I brought judgment on you to turn your hearts to me. And so he brings a judge to rescue them, and they get rescued from the Philistines, and then after they're rescued, they turn their hearts away from God again, and so God brings more judgment on them. It's also the book, the, the book of Jeremiah. The whole book is Jeremiah saying, God is going to come, and he's going to kill you, and it's not going to be good, and then some of you are going to be carried off to be slaves in Babylon. But don't worry, God has a plan to do it. The reason he's doing that is to rescue you or turn your hearts back towards him. It's the book of Joel. The book of Joel, there at the read the beginning, there is a, a locust plague that comes into Israel and it destroys all the crops. And God says, I sent that in order to bring judgment upon you, to turn your hearts back towards me. And so this is the constant refrain throughout the Old Testament of like, you are not following me. You're not living up to the covenant. And so therefore, I'm constantly going to try to capture your heart and bring you back to me. And so one day, God sent his spirit to give encouragement to his people in the book of Jeremiah. And in Jeremiah... He says, listen, I don't want this to be the case forever. And so turn your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah chapter 31 is kind of in the middle of the Bible. It's after the book of Psalms. Or, I mean, not right after, but, you know, if you get to Psalms, it's go beyond that. In Jeremiah chapter 31, God makes a promise to his people after he's going to bring judgment upon them to turn their hearts back to him because they're not walking in obedience to this covenant. And this is what he says in chapter 31, verse 31. And I'll let you turn there for a sec. He says, look, the days are coming. This is the Lord's declaration. When I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, This one will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors. On the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, even though I'm their master. The Lord's declaration. Instead, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days. The Lord's declaration. I will put my teaching within them and write it on their hearts. 
I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will each one teach his neighbor or his brother saying, know the Lord, for they will all know me from the least to the greatest of them. This is the Lord's declaration. For I will forgive their iniquity and never again remember their sin. And so God sent this to his people in the midst of them being carried off as slaves again to Babylon. And he came to them at this time and he says, listen, this is not something I want to do, but it's something I'm bringing into your life. I'm bringing in the suffering into your life because I want to turn your hearts back to me. But I want you to understand this, that I have a purpose behind it. And it's not going to be this way forever. I'm going to do something to fix this. Because the Israelites proved they couldn't, right? The covenant that was based on their obedience, they couldn't fulfill. And so what God said is one day, I'm going to come and fix it. I'm going to fulfill it. And so what does he say? I'm going to write my law on your heart. My commandments, are going to, you're going to be able to follow them because they're going to be within you. They're going to be on your new heart. And I'm going to forgive your iniquity. I'm going to forgive your sins. And I'm going to lead you to have a special relationship with me to where everyone will know me and have a relationship with me from the least to the greatest. Everyone will have access. So then Jesus came. And the night before he was about to get executed in Jerusalem, he celebrated a Passover meal with his disciples. And so, again, turn your Bible to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. Also, as a side note, my style is not typically to turn to five different passages. Each sermon, I typically have one that I stick with the entire time. Uh, but I feel like this is pretty important. And when you're putting together a theme throughout the Bible, it's important to see uh, how it's developed uh, throughout. And, uh, and so now we're in Matthew in the New Testament, chapter 26. Jesus has come and he's lived, and this is the last night of his life. And he's celebrating the Passover meal, which we know as the Lord's Supper with his disciples just before he's about to be executed. And I want you to hear what he says. Verse 26. As they were eating, Jesus took bread. He blessed and broke it, gave it to the disciples, and said, Take and eat it. This is my body. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them and said this. Drink from it, all of you. Catch this. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Did you catch that? What did Moses say when they were ratifying their covenant with God, when he took the blood from the basin and he was sprinkling it on the people, and he said, God is making a covenant with you to make you his priests, to make you his servants. What, is he, what did he call it? This is the blood of the covenant. And now Jesus is here saying, I am bringing blood for the new covenant with you. Look at, look at Luke chapter 22. Is the last one we'll turn to. Luke chapter 22, verse 20. Luke 22, verse 20. 
In the same way, he also took the cup after supper. And listen how Luke phrases this. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. So what was the basis of the old covenant with God in the Old Testament? The people's obedience. That was the basis of the covenant. If you obeyed God, then you stayed in the covenant. If you did not obey God, it led to death for you. What is the basis for this new covenant under Jesus? His obedience. His obedience. His obedience to the point of death on a cross, what happened? It ushered in a new covenant between God and his most prized possession in the world. One that's based not on your obedience or on the Israelites' obedience, but on Jesus's obedience. And, and, and so we, we can't do anything to gain it or lose it. Isn't that a relief? So therefore, God, catch this, what Jesus is saying here is that God has made a new covenant through Jesus' blood that's based on his obedience. And because it's based on Jesus, it's now open to all people, not just Israelites, which is good news for you and me. Because we are Gentiles. Bible speak, we are Gentiles. And so now Jesus came and he made this covenant open and open for everyone. And so now we can meet and hear and celebrate together what Jesus has done for us because of what he did on the cross. So catch this. Jesus inaugurates a new covenant by his blood into which everyone who has faith in Jesus becomes God's priest. We become his servants who serve him by obeying him. And we can do this based upon the new hearts that have been given to us by the Holy Spirit working within us. And so there is a new covenant that God has with his most prized possession that the Holy Spirit empowers us to live in. And it's not based on you. It's based on Jesus. And that is the good news here. And so here's the, here's the thing. You can enter into this most prized possession. You can become God's most prized possession by believing in Jesus. And if you have believed in Jesus, then you are part of God's most prized possession. That's a mind-boggling thought. That's a mind-boggling thought. And so once you're in, what does it look like? You are a servant of God. You are a servant of God by walking in obedience to him. And that is true freedom. That is true freedom. And the truth is that like, that's love, right? Like that's love. That is the work of a beautiful God who so desperately loves us and went through these desperate links to come and capture our hearts and create a, a place to where we can succeed and like have a relationship with him that we're not going to fail at over and over and over again. Why? Because it's not based on you and me anymore. It's based on Jesus. And so if you have given your life to follow Jesus, then you are a priest for God. So serve him out of obedience this week. And if you have not come to know who Jesus is yet, or if you've not given your life to follow him, you can. 
And you can enter into this people. You can enter this people. Because here's how you do it. You believe him. You say, Jesus, I believe your death was effective for me, and I want to follow you with my life and walk in obedience to God. That's it. That's how you do it. I want you to hear that you, you can be part of God's most treasured possession. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. God, we thank you. God, you've loved us in such a way to where you have brought a covenant with us, one that, that we can hold on to and know that you are not going to leave us or forsake us based on anything that we have or have not done because now it is based on Jesus and we can hold fast to him and gain you. And I pray that we would gain a fresh, like a, 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 a fresh idea or understanding of who we are in light of that. People who serve you at obedience in response to what you've done for us, not to make you love us more, but because you have loved us. God, so allow us or enable us to live this out this week uh, to where we can, we can walk in obedience to you and, and being loving and being kind, God, and, 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 and serving you and serving others um, just as you've served us. And it's Jesus' name we pray. Amen.